This is Purple Hall. Welcome to Preble Hall, a podcast about naval history from the United States Naval Academy Museum in Annapolis. Welcome back to another episode. We are going to take a slight detour for this and some other episodes in the next couple of months. As you know, we're in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic. It's part of the museum's mission to preserve our naval history, particularly at the Naval Academy. So what we're going to do is interview a series of leaders around the Naval Academy, and how their offices went through this. The purpose of doing so is to preserve our history because these interviews will be transcribed. Copies will be placed not only in the museum, but in the library's special collections and archives. And that way, if there is, uh, God forbid, another pandemic like this in the future, at least our, our future leaders will have something to turn back to on the decision-making uh, that we went through here at the Naval Academy in the past couple months, and we will do for the next few months. And that's something when we look at the Spanish uh, influenza of 1918, that those are records we don't have. So our guest for today is Father Francis Foley, Captain, United States Navy. And we share an ancestor of sorts, a professional ancestor, because if you go to these genealogical genealogy websites and start typing in names, you'll see somebody who goes to the 1400s who is related to everybody. Well, in this case, we're, I'm looking at a painting right now in the conference room of the Naval Academy Museum of Reverend George Jones. Reverend George Jones was a chaplain, an Episcopal chaplain in the United States Navy, and he was a big advocate of getting a formal structure for training midshipmen, particularly in naval schools. So in 19, sorry, 1845, Reverend George Jones becomes the not only the first chaplain of the Naval Academy, becomes the first chair of the English department at the Naval Academy, but he also takes on another role as what was called curator of the Naval School Lyceum. The Naval School Lyceum was a building here already uh, for that was established as a museum, but it was called the Lyceum until 1921. And so he's my uh, my ancestor as as well as Father Foley's and Father. Welcome to Preble Hall. It's always good to have you here. Well, thank you very much, Claude. It's great to be here, and uh, I'm looking forward to the interview. Good. Uh, two quick questions. The first, is there a God? Uh, yes. As a matter of fact, there is. I can say with ontological certitude, there is a God. Next question. Well, there, there, there is another uh, major debate, and I know it's a, a major debate in, in, uh, between some of the chaplains here, between you and Father Hogue particularly. What's the best place to get a Philly cheesesteak? I can tell you as a Philadelphian, and Father Hogan and I are both from North Philly, you can go to any, we would say, hoagie shop in Philadelphia and get a great cheesesteak. And the reason is, if they don't produce a great one, somebody a block away is, and they'll be out of business. So anywhere you go, you'll get a great one. Good to know. Father, how did you become a chaplain in the United States Navy? Well, the, the short answer is, in August of 1983, on a Sunday... I drove down here from Philadelphia with a friend of mine who had been ordained a priest uh, just about a year and a half, and I was, oh, probably uh, about nine months away from being ordained myself. We drove to the Naval Academy. Neither one of us had ever been there. Walked in. I think it must have been the plebes were at mass. We were all dressed up in our collars, stiffly starched and young and eager, and the priest who was offering the Mass turned out to be the command chaplain, a 
wonderful priest, Father John Glenn. He was from Boston. And he took us on a tour of the Naval Academy, told us what it was like to be a chaplain, took us out to dinner, and I'll never forget, he picked up the tab. And by the end of that night, as I was driving back to Philadelphia, he had planted the seed. I thought, I want to do that. And nine years after being ordained, 10 years almost to the day that I had first visited the Naval Academy, I was commissioned a chaplain in the United States Navy. Now, here's another irony. I was assigned here as the command chaplain uh, in 2016, and in the, in the main chapel, there are a line of photographs of all of the command chaplains of the Naval Academy. By coincidence, my photograph is directly under his. So I think, going back to your first question, is there a God? Yes, there is. And I can see his providential hand in this whole section of my life. So that's the short answer. There's a lot more to it, but um, he's the one. He changed my life in one visit. I never thought about being a chaplain until that time. You hear a lot of stories like that. I remember Father Jay telling, telling us the story of when he was, a, he was a Broadway actor, I think, and he was walking in Greenwich Village and came across the recruiting station, and then suddenly it happened. How, how does, does somebody become a chaplain specifically for the Navy, or do they enter into an order first, and then they apply for a commission? That's a good question. Um, for, for a Catholic priest, you have to be ordained first. In fact, that's true for all the chaplains. If you're a, an imam, if you're a rabbi, if you're a minister, regardless of what it is, you have to be ordained or selected by your denomination. And you have to have some experience in what we would call the civil pulpit. You have to be functioning as an imam or a rabbi or a minister or a priest for at least two years so that you know what you're about and you have that pastoral leadership expertise. And after two years of service in the civilian world, um, you can be recommended by our denomination to be a chaplain. I was ordained a priest for nine years, and then my bishop... I'm a priest of the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. My bishop assigned me to the Navy. Now, the initial assignment was for three years, and then it was renewed and renewed. And, and right now, I think uh, the last time the archbishop said, um, you can stay as long as they need you. So I'm on an extended loan from Philadelphia. Has that changed in recent years because I think that we're down to what maybe 40 Catholic chaplains in the United States Navy yeah, when I was commissioned there were 200 Catholic uh, chaplains in the Navy for the Navy Marine Corps and Coast Guard are, are the diocese then a little more resistant about releasing some of their priests yes yes they are uh, religious orders and dioceses are reluctant to release so now we have I think about 48 maybe 50 at most but I think it's about 48 49 who are on active duty. Um, we have even fewer who are in the reserve. So I'm sort of like the desert tortoise. I'm a bit of an endangered species. How long have, has the Navy had chaplains? Uh, since 1775. The first chaplain was appointed um, while we were in the Revolutionary War in the Continental Navy. And um, their primary job was, their job description was very detailed for the time. They were to lead divine services each day, a fuller and more extensive list of uh, services on the Sabbath, and they were also to be the teachers um, for the midshipmen, since most of the time 
um, the chaplains were the most educated men on the on the ship. So they taught and they prayed. And they came from all denominations at that point? Uh, at that point, it was exclusively Protestant. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd have to look up and see when the, the first Catholic priest was appointed. It must have been later. If I remember right now, for reservists who are listening, I should tell you that there is a three-part history of the chaplain corps of the United States Navy that you can read for points. I think you can still get it for points. I didn't get all my points, but I <laughs> talked to viewers about that. The uh, But it's, it's a really... I, I was astounded, actually, Father, about the role that the chaplains have played in, in our history. And we were talking earlier about some of the better-known ones, you know, Father Laboon, for example, Father Capadano. I was wondering if you could tell us a, a little bit, because I'm not sure people realize that chaplains are there on the battlefield. There are no Marine chaplains, for example, correct? No, that's, that's true. They're, uh, the Marine Corps—well, um, let, me, let me qualify that— um, the Marine Corps doesn't have its own doctors or chaplains or nurses, um, but the Navy doctors, chaplains, nurses, dentists, and the Navy corpsmen and the religious program specialists who are the chaplain's assistants, they all serve with the Marines. And when you serve with them, you dress like a Marine and you're held to the Marine standards. Um, and uh, the Marines are very, I would say, protective and very supportive of the chaplain. So I've served with the Marines um, just a, probably about 10 years um, out of what will be right now, 26 years of service. So um, not quite half of my service, but close to it. And there are chaplains on almost every Navy ship, right? um, or the, at least the big, the, the, the big large ships. Large yes, ships. the large ships, aircraft carriers, the cruisers. large amphibious ships, the cruisers. Um, we're moving towards getting more chaplains on ships, um, but of course, we right now um, the chaplains go wherever they are needed, and wherever the Navy determines, so that they can be. Uh, in the right place at the right time to do what needs to be done. And I, I remember being deployed on, on a cruiser about 15 years ago, and we didn't have a Catholic chaplain. We had a Protestant chaplain, so we had to do sort of our own services that were authorized by the priest uh, with the uh, strike group. He was on the Bon Shard. In fact, I think Father Hogue was on either Bon Shard or another ship. We were talking about that. We were on the same deployment. And how do you... Provide, how does a chaplain provide services if they're, say, a Protestant to others or a Catholic to others? How is that set up to administer to all faiths uh, on the ship? Okay, the, the chaplain corps has four key areas of expertise, four key areas where we focus our, our energies. The first is to provide for the religious needs of those who share the same faith background or tradition that the individual chaplain happens to have, wherever she or he happens to be. So as a Catholic priest, I do Catholic services. Um, there is no generic government-sponsored service. But every chaplain is also committed to facilitate for the needs of the religious needs of the sailors and Marines with whom you know he or she is serving. So as a Catholic priest, if somebody needs uh, a rabbi or if someone needs a Lutheran minister or an imam, first of all, I do everything I can to see if I can track one down. 
to set up an opportunity for that service member or members to be taken care of. Their religious needs to be taken care of. But as you just described, many times you'll deploy and you'll have one chaplain on one ship. So before you deploy, you reach out into the command among the sailors and Marines and ask for volunteers from different faith backgrounds and to be trained as what we call lay leaders. And every denomination has specific prayers that the individual trained sailor or Marine can lead for their comrades who share that same faith if there is not a chaplain of that denomination uh, on the ship or with the unit. So it's a it's a very well-organized um, way of facilitating for the needs of all sailors and Marines when you're deployed, or, or all service members, because many times you'll even have soldiers and airmen and Coast Guardsmen who are involved in this. Um, but it's, uh, it's one that requires the chaplain to do her or his homework before you deploy. Let's go back for a minute to some of those uh, chaplains, who, especially the cap, uh, Catholic chaplains for a moment, who really went above and beyond. And for our listeners, they may not know that some of our ships have been named after chaplains. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about a few of those. Okay. Uh, the two that come to mind immediately are uh, we have two Navy chaplains who were awarded the Medal of Honor, the Congressional Medal of Honor. Uh, Father Joseph O'Callaghan in World War II was awarded the Medal of Honor for extraordinary courage and service on the USS Franklin. Um, and uh, there, in fact, there are videos of some of his uh, heroism on that ship when it was under attack um, by Japanese forces and um, I believe two kamikaze planes um, went into the ship, or at least one did go into it, and, and another bomb exploded in the hangar bay. So uh, he, uh, he was described by the captain of the ship as the, sing- the man most singularly responsible for saving the ship. Uh, everything from providing spiritual comfort, and again, there are videos and photographs, rather, of him on the deck doing just that, but also organizing um, firefighting teams to go into magazines where um, the danger of the fire spreading through the ship and igniting the ammunition and the the large caliber caliber, um, ammunition in those magazines um, was so possible that if they did explode, it would have definitely sunk the ship. But Father O'Callaghan helped organize firefighting parties and led the way himself into uh, hosing down and getting that ammunition over the side. So that's one example. He lived um, through that ordeal and was uh, awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor by President Truman. Um, Father O'Callaghan was a, a Jesuit priest. He was a science teacher at Holy Cross um, College in Massachusetts. Near, near Boston. Yeah. Worcester. Uh, Worcester, Mass., yeah. exactly. And um, he was teaching there before the war, and he went back to teach after the war. Um, the other Navy chaplain who received the Medal of Honor was Father Vincent Capadano, who was serving with the Marines in uh, Vietnam and was posthumously awarded the Medal of Honor because of for his heroism while serving with the Marines and putting himself in danger and saving other lives um, at the cost of his own 
while serving in Vietnam. Um, in fact, Father Capadano's um, life is being investigated by the Catholic Church to determine if he is um, actually a saint. So has, has he been beatified at this point? Uh, not yet, not yet. But so, and there's there's a third uh, ship, the Laboon, and we've got it's a Arleigh Burke class destroyer out in the yeah. fleet today, and we have a Laboon Center. We do, yes. Father Father Laboon is another her- hero of the Navy Chaplain Corps. He is a graduate of this illustrious institution, the Naval Academy. He was in one of the accelerated classes. Um, during World War II, went on to serve as a junior officer on a submarine and was um, awarded the Silver Star for heroism um, with the, uh, because he, he was responsible for saving the life of a downed um, naval aviator. And um, then after the war, he was released from the Navy and entered the Society of Jesus. The Jesuits was ordained a priest and then came back into the Navy as a chaplain and even uh, served here at the Naval Academy as a chaplain at his alma mater. And even today, you'll find a lot of people who will say with great pride, oh, I was baptized by Father Laboon, or my parents were married by Father Laboon, or yes, we, my father smoked cigars with Father Laboon. <laughs> he was much beloved. And um, yes, uh, he and I have this in common. His, um, the destroyer named after him, was commissioned, I think, about the same year that I came on active duty. So both of us have served the, the, just about the same amount of time in the Navy. Now, you've been here a few years now. How is, for future reference, you know, the, again, the folks 50 and 100 years from now, as if you're, you're, uh, you're providing that information and guidance to them, but how is the current chaplain's office structured? How, what are the personnel... Okay. Uh, that you have there, and what are the different faiths that you have? All right, we have, right now we have nine chaplains serving at the Naval Academy. We currently have four, um, well, well, we had four, three religious program specialists. We're, we're short. They, they are the uh, enlisted sailors who are the chaplain's assistants. And when we serve with the Marines, those religious program specialists that are referred to as RPs, um, there are bodyguards um, because chaplains are the only members of the armed forces in the United States who are absolute non-combatants. We are by regulation forbidden to have a, any type of weapon or to engage in any type of firefight. But the, R- the RPs can. The RPs, definitely. They are fully qualified. Um, so uh, right now, as I said, we have nine chaplains, we have three RPs, um, so, and then we have an extended civilian staff. So all together, um, we have 20 people on the staff right now, civilians and, um, petty officers and then the commissioned officers, the chaplains. The chaplains are, um, each battalion of the six battalions in the Brigade of Midshipmen has a particular chaplain assigned to that battalion. So we have six of our chaplains who are embedded in Bancroft, just the way you would be have a chaplain embedded in, on a ship or with a, a Marine battalion or uh, a squadron. And then we have a um, 
command chaplain myself, an assistant command chaplain, deputy rather, command chaplain. And then we have a waterfront, waterfront readiness chaplain who um, is also um, an assistant to the command chaplain and provides support for all the other entities that are part of um, the reality here at Annapolis. We have Waterfront, we have Naval Support Activities Annapolis, we have the, um, um, the medical clinic. Um, so those are all cared for by another one of the chaplains. But we all work together, and our primary focus is always the Brigade of Midshipmen. What's the breadth of services? That, you know, it almost sounds uh, simplistic to ask that, but when you, when you look at all the things that the chaplain's office provides on a day-to-day or week-to-week basis, can you explain what those are? All right. Um, well, the breakdown right now, too, of, of the different denominations that are represented within the chaplains here, specifically the Naval Academy. So we have a rabbi. Uh, we always have a rabbi. We currently have two Catholic priests, myself and Father Luke Dundon, who is also a Naval Academy graduate. And, um, and I also, by coincidence, recruited him into the uh, chaplain corps. The, um, so we have the rabbi, two Catholic priests, and then the other six chaplains are all Protestant chaplains from different faith backgrounds. Um, I might add we have another one of the Protestant chaplains is also a graduate of the Naval Academy, um, Chaplain Jonathan Weboko. So, um, so we have, we're fortunate right now to have two graduates of the Naval Academy who are serving as chaplains. Now, obviously, we provide for the religious needs of those midshipmen, faculty, staff, um, alumni who are in the area, other congregants who are of our faith background. So we have Shabbat services, we have different Protestant services, Catholic services, but the chaplains also do an awful lot of counseling. Um, I'd say that for most of the midshipmen, and this is true in the fleet, sailors and Marines, the first person that a sailor or Marine will go to uh, if they're having problems or they just need somebody to, to vent with and uh, some guidance, would be the chaplain. Why is that? Uh, because we're the only ones who, by regulation, have absolute confidentiality. We are forbidden to... Sh- I mean, whatever you would tell me belongs to you, and I can never reveal it uh, unless you give me permission to do that or direct me to do that. So we are the only ones who have that 100% confidentiality. And that puts us in a very unique position. And so we'll have sailors and Marines and midshipmen who come to us, and they're not from our faith background, may not even believe in God. They might say, you know, hey, chaplain, I'm, I'm not religious, or, you know, I'm, it's, that's not part of my makeup. Um, but I want to talk to you because I know you have that unique gift of confidentiality. And also because... We've been around, and uh, you get credibility from your experience in the fleet. Um, and and you, the chaplain gets a reputation, uh, hopefully a good one, uh, but that can go both ways. You have to be careful. But once you get the reputation of giving good advice and somebody who um, can help you in a crisis or in maybe a little difficulty or a hard, you know, a dry patch in life that you're going through, uh, the word goes forth. 
we have we keep confidentiality. The midshipmen, not so much. They'll spread the, the word. So uh, <laughs> and it, online now. And too, so. online. That's right. That's right. We'll get rated. Like so, uh, but um, you also handle funeral services. You know, oh a my lot gosh! Of, uh, you know, I watch some. Uh, I shouldn't say, but uh, my office overlooks uh, the chapel, the Third Naval Academy Chapel, and you see a lot of graduates who are uh, there. They go through the service here, and then they're. Uh, they're escorted to the burial over at Hospital Point at the cemetery. Absolutely. We have, uh, for example, we have more than 100 weddings here every every year. And it's, what, 23 minutes in and out for a wedding? Well, you, it, it, for most of them, um, if it starts at um, 10 o'clock in the morning, they have to be walking under the sword arch by 10.30. And, and we've got that down, I'll tell you. So um, there, there are occasions when they'll get a little more time, but um, that, that's, that's the rule. Uh, so, but we also do hundreds of, of funerals and committals here. Um, this is a, uh, an institution that provides the chaplain with the opportunity to do everything the chaplains do and do it on steroids. Uh, you do it in abundance, leading prayers um, at, at hundreds and hundreds of different uh, events throughout the year, large and small, uh, leading services, counseling, um, giving talks on life skills um, and healthy relationships. So that's something else that we do with uh, with the rest of the the staff of the of the Naval Academy chaplains are very much part of the moral development aspect of the um, of the Naval Academy. It's got to be a little different at the academy too, rather you know, as opposed to say being the chaplain at Git, uh, Guantanamo Bay or elsewhere, because you're under a spotlight here all the time. I remember about 30 years ago working for my first U.S. senator and. The first thing he said was, you know, welcome to the staff. You know, how's your mom? And the second question he asked, or second thing he said to me was, don't do anything that would pit me or you on the front page of the Washington Post, which was good advice. But it it, it made me realize that Washington, D.C. and the general area, especially the academy, are under a different light, as as it were, for activities. It, it, that, that's a that's a good piece of advice for chaplains too. Yeah, I I I, I may I may borrow that from the senator. Don't Please don't do. do anything that would put you or me on the front page of the Washington Post. No, it, it is. It's a unique environment. You are, um, in a sense, you're always on parade. Um, so that you know you have to be aware of that. Um, and I think it, the chaplains are selected by a. Um, an advisory group. You have, you have those. Is it, is it like a promotion board for officers? Um, uh, uh, it's or not a board. board. It's not a board. But everyone who applies and is recommended by their denomination does go before an advisory group. Um, to call it, we don't call it a board because that has very specific, um, specific, shall we say, legal ramifications. It, it provides advice. Mm-hmm. You know, this a committee. And uh, this advisory group provides advice to the chief of chaplains, who then makes decisions. And ultimately, every officer who is commissioned, um, that decision has to be approved by uh, the Bureau of Personnel, 
uh, chief of naval personnel, and 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 obviously by Congress too. You're you're commissioned that way. But um, getting back to uh, your point, yes, you have to be. Um, you have to have a certain level, I would say, of maturity, of the ability to think on your feet very quickly, uh, of calm, and to be articulate. Because, as you said, in the Washington, D.C. area, everything is under a different, shall we say, light or even glare. And the cameras are always clicking. But this is also a place you have to be aware that uh, everything that happens here reflects on on the entire navy on the naval academy on the superintendent so it's it's on the as you enter the main chapel over the door is that beautiful latin phrase non sibi sed patria not self but country and uh, every chaplain should always remember that phrase it's not about me it's about it's about something beyond and higher than me and it's about the sailors marines and coast guardsmen um, but particularly here, you have to be aware of, hey, everything I say, everything I do could reflect on more than me. And, um, you know, act accordingly, speak accordingly. I'd like to turn now to just, it, you know, it seems almost long ago, I guess, that we first became aware of the, the COVID, uh, the, the virus that eventually becomes a pandemic. Where were you when you first found out about that, or well, how, how it affected, how it personally affected you? I should well, say. Um, very interesting. Um, everything I'd say reached ahead while the uh, just as the brigade of midshipmen were on their spring break in uh, in early March. By coincidence, um, it certainly reached a boiling point uh, for me personally. Um, on the 12th of March uh, at 2.21 in the morning, and I happened to be in Paris, France. I was leading a group of 11 midshipmen and two junior officers uh, on a spring break trip to France, which I have to tell you at the time was going absolutely marvelously. That's a great And um, But at 2.21 in the morning, I was awakened by, my, by a phone call, and when I answered very groggily, the phone, a voice I recognize. Was said, it God? No, th- this one was not God. <laughs> Sometimes a person may think he's God, but it, it wasn't. Um, the voice said, are you aware? And I can tell you that anytime a conversation begins that way, it's probably not going to be a, an enjoyable conversation. Mm-hmm. But it was, are you aware what the president has just done and what he has said? President Trump had addressed the nation and indicated that um, that was Thursday morning, and by midnight on Friday, um, no one was going to be allowed um, back in the United States who was in, uh, in most European countries. Um, later on, that was clarified. That didn't apply to American citizens, but we didn't know that. And so I woke up everyone and made a few, well, I made four more phone calls back and forth in the United States, um, asked a person who I've been working with who was in the United States, change all our tickets, get us out of France now, back to the U.S. Did you, did you have to fly commercially, or could, did you do space, uh, space A, uh, military flights? No, no, Sorry. we flew commercially, okay. and, and we, we flew back that day. We were able to change 
um, the flight. It uh, it cost quite a bit, but I got everybody back because I knew um, I knew that for the midshipmen, their families would be very concerned and understandably so. And I knew that I I knew that the situation was uncertain, and it was not going to get better, and that. For that reason, we had to get back as quickly as possible. We were back, uh, all of us were back in North America before midnight on Thursday. Where Did they go back to their homes or did they come back to the Naval Academy? You came back to the Academy. I came back to the Academy. Most of the midshipmen <coughs> went, um, flew directly, once they came back into, uh, got back to the United States, flew directly to their, their home of record. Um, a few did come back to the Naval Academy, and then later on went back to their home of record. All of us had to self-quarantine for 14 days. And I can say um, it was a blessing that all of us completed that without anyone showing any signs of the COVID-19 virus. And you, you self-quarantined here. You have a house here on the yard. I do. I live, I live here on the yard, and, and I stayed at uh, 11 Porter Road for two weeks. Not the hardest place to quarantine, I have to say. So, you know, I, I just did an interview was it two days ago. I guess two two days ago, with a, a maritime archaeologist in in China, in Dalian, China, and she's just completed basically twelve weeks of containment, and so she gave us some tips on how you survive. I mean, you did this for for two weeks. You couldn't have anybody in the house, obviously. Correct. Um, what? Were some how did how did you pass your time for two weeks? I mean, imagine you know a lot of us who are who have served overseas like wow we've got two weeks we can just like read books or you know watch whatever on TV. How did you spend your two weeks? Um, a lot of it was reading. Uh, what did you read? Uh, a number of uh, a number of books. I'm, I'm reading a book um, about the um, a rather a, a famous figure from the time. Of the um, of the Napoleonic War um, and uh, uh, Metternich, and then um, uh, also I uh, reading a number of spiritual books. Um, one and and then also two books I picked up that were that are about um, they're more about philosophy and um, Stoicism. Moral development and stoicism, so which influenced Admiral Stockdale or exactly. then a, a junior officer Stockdale while he was uh, POW and was uh, Mark, was a Marcus Aurelius. Marcus I think Aurelius, was, yes, was, yeah. The, the, I read uh, that on the, deployment. The the <laughs> yeah. emperor's yeah, the emperor's handbook, Marcus <clears throat> yeah. Aurelius. So um, a, a number of. Uh, a number of uh, of different books. I also uh, I don't watch television, um, and but I do go online. So I was reading a lot more, and then I, I get some magazines. So even though I couldn't go out, uh, the mail did still come. So um, uh, mostly reading and then going online. Um, I tried to get a little bit more into. Uh, a more disciplined prayer life, too. I know. I, I, I more like the Benedictines. More like the Benedictines. I'm glad you're coming to our side, Father. You know. <laughs> and then, uh, uh, yes, and then also I worked in my backyard a lot. I, 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 I couldn't leave the house, but I could go into my backyard. So my backyard looks dramatically better than it had ever. So, How did you get your food? Um, fortunately, I, 
I did have a, a lot of food either in the freezer mm-hmm. or um, you know enough pasta and and I could make my own sauces and then people were very kind a number of people did uh, regularly contact me and say hey I can go shopping what do you need and I can leave it at the door so uh, a number of folks did that so I had milk and and oranges and apples so between the spiritual books the ph- philosophical books um, and even Metternich, you know, what the heck. Yeah. Uh, what did, can, is there anything you can share about what you learned during those two weeks? You do learn um, how much you miss social interaction. We are social people. Even in the monastery, you are, you are praying together. You are working together. You're even eating together, even if it's in silence. So you miss that social interaction. Um, but I'm, not surprisingly, you, I, you also realize how beautiful sometimes it is to be freed from distractions. Um, we live in a world where there is almost constant noise. And um, that's not interaction. That's not so, uh, personal interaction. But so many things that are superficial. And at least for myself, it was a time where I really valued the quiet time I could have to think and pray and, um, and to think a lot about others. It became, it, more and more it became uh, clear or came into focus the, the extent of the COVID-19 pandemic and um, how important it is to pray for one another and even for people around the world who were um, bearing the, the burden far more at that time than we were, and uh, for the medical personnel and heroic efforts that so many of them were making to help those. But at the same time, you and your office had to continue to provide services. Oh, yes. What, how did you adapt to this? And, I, and we saw this throughout the Naval Academy. Every office adapted. The, the instructors adapted and, and had to go to online. We, I've gone to online teaching. How did your office adapt to that? Well, I'll tell you that that was it's a very good question because um, a little background about myself. I, I have to admit I'm a bit of an antiquarian. I think that's the right word. Um, when it came to social media, I spurned it. Um, well, I have learned more about social media and Google Meets and uh, teleconferencing and virtual classrooms. I've learned more about that in the last four weeks than I knew in the previous 61 years. Um, so even on quarantine, um, we were still, when I returned, we were still on spring break, and it was determined that the brigade of midshipmen would not come back. And then as the pandemic became more and more serious in the United States, it was determined that most people would um, remain in place where they were, um, and most of our work would be done by um, internet or teleconferencing. So while on that two-week quarantine period, I began to do most of my, I continued to work and interact with my staff and my, and my team uh, by phone calls, by, uh, by the internet. Um, so that we 
already had a Facebook page for the uh, Naval Academy Chaplain Center. Um, we dramatically increased the use of that. And then uh, as the chapel and all religious um, churches, temples, synagogues were um, ordered by governors around the country and here in Maryland that uh, because gathering people together in that closed environment, closed environment would increase the likelihood of the spread of the virus, they were closed and secured. We immediately started um, live recording and then live streaming our services. Um, we established an Instagram page. We have, uh, through the generosity here of our, um, our uh, communications department, uh, ITSD, we have two Zoom licenses for broadcasting. So all of the chaplains have pulled together, the petty officers, the civilian staff, we are daily posting prayers, um, instructions, um, guidance. Today, um, we established our first moral development recording, a 60-second um, Instagram recording on moral development, moral are leadership. The, are those the anchor prayers? Well, that we different? have we have the anchored. We we change it from anchor prayer to anchored prayer, <laughs> okay. uh, Monday through Friday. But on Tuesdays and Fridays, we're going to have prayers that are specifically for moral development and personal care, uh, healthy living. And uh, Tuesdays is more about moral development, leadership, and Fridays will be about taking care of yourself and healthy lifestyles. And uh, there's going to be a hashtag, uh, let the chaplains decide. It's something like, uh, uh, you know, hashtag uh, chap meets or uh, snap chaps or something like that, something catchy. Uh, but the first one was posted today. I, I recorded it yesterday. Um, so we have dramatically increased our interaction because we wanted to stay connected with the midshipmen. And uh, we have dramatically increased our social interaction. Um, and I have to say, I find myself busier now um, than ever before um, because it's a new way of doing business, of providing ministry and support. Um, but it doesn't, it, it takes more time. I'll just put it that way. It, it does. And even with the teaching, I think I'm spending three, much, three times as much time preparing. Uh, yeah, a, a few, several Saturdays ago when we were kind of testing out one of the ideas, Father Dundon and I were down in the lower chapel, St. Andrew's Chapel, right below the, the main chapel of the academy. You can just, you know, with a simple iPhone, you know, the camera and, you know, recording it that way. And it's amazing how, how technology has changed. I think you and I spoke once before uh, about growing up and I, my mother's generation listened to Bishop Fulton Sheen or yes. watched him on television, I should say. Through I think maybe the 1960s, you you've certainly heard the the, the services on radio. My my grandmother once in a while, if she couldn't get out of the house, would watch a mass. And there, but there are specific guidelines. I mean, the technology is wonderful that you can reach out to so many people. But isn't aren't there specifics about that? Like you can only show them at a certain time, or you have to live stream. What are what are the what is the guidance that you received from 
say, the military archdiocese? Well, it's, there, there's been guidance provided all the way from uh, the Vatican, mm-hmm. from Rome, and from the military archdiocese. Um, right now, there has been and uh, there has been and is ongoing, um, shall we say, modification of many of the guidelines because this pandemic is something quite unique. Um, so for some services, the instruction was it has to be live streamed. Um, you can't pre-record it. Um, and right now, all of our, for example, we're still in the midst of Passover. The uh, Passover services are, are live streamed. Uh, is that right out here? Is it the Levy Center? Well, we, the, we have the synagogue at the Miller Chapel and the mm-hmm. Levy Center, but uh, Rabbi Stephen Balaban is live streaming them from home. It's easier to do that. So you have a, a virtual Seder and uh, that, is, that is live streamed. Um, and we have service members and midshipmen and their families who are connecting with that from all over, literally from sea to shining sea. We live streamed all of our Christian services, Protestant and Catholic. And um, so right now, we are really not in any way... Um, and there's no real restrictions on, as, as I said, some things had to be live streamed. You couldn't pre-record, but for the regular Sunday services, um, we are allowed to record them and then post them. Um, the the Holy Week services, some of them had to be live streamed, and specifically at, at the times they normally mm-hmm. would be done. Is is that because? There, there is no conveyance if, if of the, the spirituality, the underscoring spirituality of the, I don't want to call it an event, Father, you know that, but it, of the service. If, if you're watching it, you know, almost watching an ESPN golf match from, I don't know, 40 years ago, it yeah. doesn't have the same, va- is value the, the right well, word? Well, no, or? because it's, it is um, the... Particularly for Passover and for Holy Week and Easter, um, for the Jewish and the Christian um, faith, those events, though linked in the past, are something that are always present. And you aren't just remembering them, you are entering in and you are there reliving them. So you're journeying with the people who are being freed from bondage in uh, in Egypt you are with the disciples uh, through the events of Holy Week and then at the resurrection so for for those specific events you um, that's the reason there would be the live streaming uh, because it's not just a recorded event from the past it's something that is eternally present um, and and for both Passover and but and for Christians in Holy Week and I'd say specifically for Catholics, that's the reason we had uh, Catholics in particular very specific mm-hmm. guidance about hey for these Holy Week, so that would be Holy Thursday, Good Friday, Easter Vigil, and Easter Sunday. They had to be live streamed. Do you think this will change how religious services are provided throughout the fleet? And here's the reason why I ask this. Going back to when I was um, my last sea, do- sea tour on the Bunker Hill, uh, I mentioned that you know we'd have the Sunday services and, and the priest would send over the hosts. They'd fly them over. But we only saw the, the priest once during the deployment, and it was Christmas, Christmas Mass. 
does modern technology and the uh, and these coupled with these dispensations, do you think it will enable um, the chaplains to reach out more to the fleet in a way that we hadn't but couldn't before because of technology? Um, I think that is to be determined. I, mm-hmm. I will say this, that the uh, COVID-19 pandemic has changed the way we do business. It's changed the way we'll be educating people. That's not going to go back to just the way it was before this. It's going to change the way people work. Um, and it's going to change the way that we, chaplains and the petty officers and civilians who work with us, it's going to change the way we do ministry, religious ministry. Um, now, what that change will look like, um, I don't think we know quite yet. But I know we're not going to just go back to the way everything was done before. Some things will always be the same. I mean, it's always going to be better to be live, to have to be able to celebrate Mass or uh, Shabbat services together, physically together in the same place. But... The observation that we have done more, do you want to call it virtually, um, using the technology we have than we've ever done before, um, will that endure? Oh, yes, I think it absolutely it will. What, what the extent, how it will be used, um, I think that will continue to evolve. Let's close it up this way, Father. Uh, I want you to put yourself in the position of the command chaplain at the Naval Academy, say, 75 years from now, who's listening to this, and they're going through their own pandemic. And what are the things that command chaplain should know about how you and your office responded and how it can help them in what they're responding to in the future? All right. Well, I hope, first of all, that that there aren't more pandemics like this. And uh, I won't be there 75 years from now, but I can assure whoever the command chaplain, uh, he or she is, I'll be praying for you, definitely. Um, I would say number one thing is um, gather your team together, your team of chaplains, petty officers, the civilian staff. And it's up to the leader, the command chaplain, to... um, First of all, make sure they're taken care of and put that as a priority and stay connected with them in that way. Regularly reach out. How are you doing? How's your family? But then establish immediately um, an environment where, all right, let's start thinking. I hate to use that term out of the box, but original thoughts on the table. How are we going to handle this? Because we are definitely going to handle it. And how are we going to do business and take care of our people? And, and this is an opportunity for anyone to come forward with original thoughts, new ideas. Nothing is um, unimaginable. We, may, we, we definitely won't be able to do everything, but nothing should be, uh, and no one should feel, nothing should be, um, well, unmentionable, and no one should feel that they can't bring an idea forward. We, obviously, we won't be able to execute everything, but you have to create an environment where people feel that they are empowered to come forward with ideas. And then create, secondly is, we're going to start, we're going to start working. Some things will work, some things won't, and then we're going to be in a continually changing, uh, they used to use that expression, uh, 
continual product improvement. Um, and that's, those are, you know, bring people together, affirm them, take care of them, and then create the environment of, all right, let's have, let's have ideas, let's have recommendations, and we're going to, everyone is entitled to come forward with that. Um, and be, be confident and be calm. I think those are the, the key things, confidence and calm. And then, you know, pray. Out of this experience today, what do you think were the most, the be, some of the best recommendations or the most original thoughts that either helped or that they were original thoughts that you said, this is a great thought, however, we might not be able to do it, and here's why? Um, well, there were a lot, people had a lot of great ideas. Mm -hmm. So the, the live streaming, um, uh, that was brought forward, hey, let's, can we live stream um, the, you know, our services. And I have to admit, at first I thought, oh, that is, that's just going to be so hard and it won't be a quality product. And I don't, but all right, we're going to try. And I was amazed how doable it was. It, it is. Um, working with the Instagram, 60 second uh, prayers or talks or presentations and the response from the brigade of midshipmen and the greater population. I, I never would have um, envisioned that or, or, or even tried it, but it was a great team that I'm working with. And, you know, as I've said earlier, bring ideas forward. And um, people did. And we have, oh, I'd have to say, amazingly, just about everything we've done has, thank you, Lord, has turned out well and been received very positively. So I, off the top of my head, I can't think of anything we tried that didn't turn out well or, or it hasn't worked. Um, but again, you have to create that environment where people feel comfortable and, if you want to say, affirmed to come forward with ideas. In your role as command chaplain, any final thoughts or words of wisdom for the midshipmen, the faculty, anybody who may be listening to this? I would say that, um, going back to those two words, be confident and be calm, uh, that's, I think, what leaders have to establish, that an environment where you're confident we're going to get through this and stay calm and take care of one another. Create that, that environment, and as a command chaplain, I'd say be prayerful. Let people know. Um, there's a wonderful expression that in the days when people did write letters to one another, Priests and seminarians would sign off with the Latin expression, Oremus pro invicem. You'd end the letter that way. In English, let us pray for one another. So I think creating that environment as, as uh, chaplains, that we're praying for one another, for people. But again, confidence and calm. Father Francis Foley, Captain of the United States Navy, Command Chaplain, United States Naval Academy. Father, thank you very much for your time this morning. I really appreciate it. Hope the coffee was okay. Yeah, the coffee was great, and the conversation <laughs> was too. Claude, thank you. It was an honor. And to our listeners, remember, hold fast. This too shall pass.
Preble Hall is in no way intended to reflect the official positions of the Department of the Navy or the Naval Academy.